and welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. We Dig Plants is produced and engineered by Jack Inslee. Our sponsor today is Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. So, thanks for joining. Um, We are Groundworks, Inc. I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. I'm actually solo for the day. Uh, Carmen is away on a family vacation day. Well-deserved. And we at Groundworks design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. So, in doing so, we often have a lot of questions about plants. Um, Also, as we research topics for this show, we often consult our friends at Botanical Libraries, which is the topic of today's show. We have a really, really great guest today, the librarian from the New York Botanic Garden, Stephen Sinan. The library, um, he's the librarian there at the Mertz Library. He's a true librarian that knows every book in their collection and exactly where it is on the shelf. His love of the library is infectious, and he's here today to tell us about some of the wonderful resources and gems available in that library. He makes me wish that I was a librarian, or that I had tons of time to do all the reading that I wanted. So thanks for joining us. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Alice. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So um, Stephen is part historian, in addition to being a library librarian. He's part historian, part mentor, he's a researcher, and he's really a friend to all others that do research. He's a man with a big picture, and he's extremely delightful to speak with about world history, art history, culture making, and future projects. So Stephen um, gave me and Carmen a tour of the library a few weeks ago, and it was so fantastic um, that we wanted him to come on and tell us all about the New York Botanic Garden Library. So, Stephen, tell us about the early days of the garden and how NYBG got started in the research institution that it is today. Well, uh, it all dates back to the year 1891. And during that year, uh, there was a group called the Tory Botanical Club of Amateur Botanists, and they approached the New York State uh, Legislature. Mm-hmm. with the idea of creating a botanical garden of world-class stature for a city uh, of New York, which had at that time become world-class stature mm-hmm. of its own. And um, the legislature said to the uh, club that this was a wonderful idea, but they had to come up first with seed money. Mm-hmm. So by the time they collected the seed money, uh, it had become 1895, and in that time, the legislature had passed a law creating the New York Botanical Garden uh, on land that had been set aside for it in the Bronx, which had uh, recently only become part of New York City, having been part of Westchester previously. 
And from that time on, interestingly enough, we've never had a formal opening ceremony with a ribbon cutting, but we've <laughs> always been building and, and adding and uh, to the collections and uh, maintaining one of the world's leading botanical gardens. Right. And tell us a little bit about the two um, founding researchers. Um, uh, you, you would be referring to the Britons. The Britons, exactly. Okay, so Nathaniel Lord Britton and um, Elizabeth Knight, uh, Gertrude Knight Britton, uh, were the, he was the first director of the New York Botanical Garden, and she was his wife. Mm-hmm. She was the world's leading bryologist or uh, expert in the field of mosses. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they were the ones who went to the Royal Botanic Garden at Kew, located just outside London, right. which at that time was the world's leading botanical institution. And they were so impressed and gave a report to the club about the findings and the things they saw there. Uh, that's really what started the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And and your collection, it's the largest in the uh, Western Hemisphere, is that right? Yes, as far as the library goes, we certainly are. Uh, we have other collections here that are quite notable, the herbarium and the living collections. Uh-huh. But the library we consider to be the largest one in the Western Hemisphere under one roof for our subject field. Right. And and um, if you could just explain to our listeners what a herbarium is versus the library. Okay. Well, there are three major collections located here at the New York Botanical Garden. The first is our living collections, and those are the ones that everybody sees and experiences when they come here. Right. That's the walk through the gardens. and Yeah, the outdoor, the trees, the shrubs, the bulbs, the indoor tropicals, the orchids, all of that. Right. The physical experience. Yes. The second big collection would be the library's collections, the library and archives. We have over one million items accessioned into the library and over a mile and a half of original archival material, manuscripts in our, in our archives. And the third collection would be the herbarium. And a herbarium you might think of as a Noah's Ark of the plant world. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a collection of all known uh, dried plant specimens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that have been collected out in the wild or sometimes traded with other collectors or collections. Mm-hmm. And so we now have a collection that numbers some 7.5 million specimens, which puts us way up top there in the herbarium world. Right. Now, those are um, those are actually the kind of pieces of the plant that have been preserved onto archival paper, and they're, they're still applicable for study and research when you, yes. when you visit the herbarium. Yes. Right. So, so in a way, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a physical library of plants. Definitely. You might yeah. think of it as that. Right. So tell us then some really special pieces that are in your library collection and why they're special. Oh, that's a hard one. There's so many favorites and so many facets here. Uh, first of all, our collection is, is very strong in the field of botany and horticulture, especially ornamental and tropical horticulture, mm-hmm. and um, systematic botany, um, nomenclature, and uh, landscape design. Those mm-hmm. are our, our big fields. Uh, some of the interesting things that we have, some of my favorites would be an original Humphrey Repton Red Book. Humphrey Repton was the leading garden designer in late 18th, early 19th century England. He, in fact, coined the term landscape design to describe what it was he did for a living. Mm-hmm. And what he would do is he would go out to your estate and he'd stay with you for a few weeks and he'd come back with a little red Morocco leather notebook filled with watercolors. 
Mm. And in that notebook, he would sketch what he saw, and then he would sketch over it, sort of like a, a pop-up, how he would improve the scene. Right, like what, what his design would encompass. Uh, before mm-hmm. and after, right, sure. Right, mm-hmm. and it was truly a pop-up. Um, I mean, it was like a, a page-turner, right? Uh, yeah, a part of it just folded over. Uh-huh. So, so there were two scenes on, on one page. Yeah, I, I love that. And those are extremely rare. Uh, Most of them are found in European collections, but they're very rare here in North America, and we have one of his original red books for a garden in in England. Mm -hmm. We have a manuscript that dates to 1793 Lower Manhattan for a nurseryman. It's basically his ledger book of all the things he sold. We know that he sold things like lumber and liquor and nails in addition to plants. So he was sort of the Home Depot of his day. <laughs> um, and this but we was do his have, sales uh, book, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we don't yet know who the fellow was. There isn't enough research done on the object. But we do know it's the first re- recorded instance of a fellow who would uh, overwinter plants for you. That is the same way you might check your fur coat in the vault for the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would take your plants and keep them in his own hothouse for a fee, so you wouldn't have to have your own hothouse. <laughs> it's very expensive. Yeah, right, right. And who can afford that? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, we have some wonderful uh, nurserymen sales catalogs. We have 40,000 nursery catalogs in our collection, mm-hmm. in our special collections dating back to the mid-19th century. Mm-hmm. Some of these were actually sales books that the, um, the salesmen from the nursery would take out on the road to the farmers, and they would show them all the new crops and the varieties that were available. And included in the books aren't only just apple varieties and such, but also roses that the lady of the house might love to have to beautify her her farm right exactly exactly and um let's talk for a second though you also have some darwin manuscripts is that we do we do it's one of the hidden treasures here we have uh, a collection of darwiniana which is well known to darwin scholars but little known outside of that area uh, collected by our first treasurer of the board charles finney cox Mm -hmm. who was a leading new york city businessman and he was very much instrumental in raising the original funds uh, to start the garden because he was friends with the likes of J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, right. and uh, Rockefeller and Vanderbilt, all which were all money. on our board. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, he was very much interested in Darwin, and he uh, collected uh, and corresponded with Darwin's son, Francis, who was executor of Darwin's estate. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to get original manuscript material, letters, photographs, artwork, and all of his first editions in the original languages they first came out in. Yeah, and and we were lucky um, on the tour, we were lucky enough to see um, Stephen actually open some of these, these notebooks, and we got to see Darwin's handwritten notes um, about the Tree of Life, which was unbelievable. Yes, yes there's some... Uh, incredible treasures in there. We have a a wonderful slip of paper from the British Admiralty uh, giving the dimensions of the beagle. Uh (laughs) Uh, We have some original sketches for some of his works that were never published. Uh And we have a volume of his correspondence, which was published, but uh, Charles Finney Cox tipped in photographs of the people next to the letters that are being discussed. 
So it's a really uh, unique set in, in that way. Right. And then you also, the library also has some of the great folios. Um, can you explain some of, uh, like, what those folios are, those florilegiums? Sure, sure. Um, we have, a, in our rare book room, we have about 3,000 oversized uh, folio volumes. And many of these are hand-painted from the great glory days of natural history, mm-hmm. printing, mm-hmm. going back to the uh, 16th century mm-hmm. uh, with herbals. Uh, uh, when uh, Gutenberg was still not too, still living, right. <laughs> not too far off. Still printing. <laughs> um, and they were illustrated with woodcuts, and we have beautiful collection of copper plate engravings. Uh, many of them are hand-painted, coming into the great age of lithography in the 19th century. Um, it's, it's a collection that is very, very beautiful, and we often call on it to uh, populate our exhibition gallery with uh, attractive materials. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about the exhibits, because um, New York Botanic Garden offers these amazing exhibits re- relating to all different kinds of subject matter, and then the library actually is a great resource for researching these these visual exhibitions. So can you tell us some about some of the exhibitions that you've had? Sure. Um, the library is located in a brand new uh, wing uh, in an area of the building that was renovated. The building was originally constructed in 1900, and we've been open to the public since day one, since 1900. We have been the library of record for our field of inquiry. Uh, what that means is that New York Public Library does not collect extensively in the fields of horticulture and botany. So yeah, I'm they glad, send I'm glad you brought that up because the, um, a lot of people think New York Public Library is like the end-all and be-all of, of New York library institutions, and that's not necessarily true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. They, at the time, we were already uh, well underway collecting, and they did not attempt to replicate uh, what our holdings were because we were open to the public, and we have remained so to this day. Yeah, and you're the experts. You know, why should, why should New York public be uh, dabbling in, in horticulture? And spending its its funds and uh, that they have to stretch to the limit, exactly. <laughs> especially these days. Exactly. Um, and uh, the new wing was added on here to house the herbarium and library collections uh, in 2001. And since that time, we have been graced with a beautiful museum-quality exhibition gallery, which has really changed the nature of librarianship here at the Garden. Mm-hmm. The librarians have become curators to... Mm-hmm interpret the collection to the public in a series of exhibitions. We do two a year that run for three months each in our uh, library exhibition gallery. And they are all accompanied by wonderful publications, some mm-hmm. of which I, I've showed you while you were here. Yeah. Um, currently, we're in the throes of setting up for our annual Orchid Show. Mm-hmm. And the theme of this year's Orchid Show is Broadway. Right. <laughs> and so we will have in the gallery a retrospective of the works of Al Hirschfeld. Uh-huh. The famous um, illustrator from the New York Times Theater section. Right. And uh, following that, we'll be doing, a, a, for our spring exhibit, the Alhambra Gardens of Granada, Spain. Right. And we will be working with the Hispanic Society of America, uh, an, a loan show from their collections, to interpret the architecture and uh, the interiors and the history uh, of that uh, famous world monument in Spain. Right. And then you, you did have a Darwin show, is that right? A few in years the past, ago. We, yeah. we had an exhibition drawn uh, somewhat from our collections, 
but also extensively we had a number of loans from Cambridge University, which was the institution where Darwin studied and received his degree in botany from. Mm -hmm. And it's little known among the general public that Darwin was a botanist, Mm -hmm. and many of his theories he tested out on the plant world before applying them to the animal world. Right. And so we had some wonderful loans here, including his uh, his uh, microscope and uh, notebooks. And this was a show that we put together, and it went on the road out to the Huntington Botanical Garden, one of our sister right. institutions in California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, I, 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 there's so much to talk about. It's so crazy, <laughs> you know, to just do this on the phone. Um, and and I re- we really encourage people to go and meet Stephen in person and take take a tour of this library because it's it is just phenomenal the the kind of cross culture of all these institutions coming together um, via plants it's it's really great so tell us a little bit about who uses the library Stephen like what is your typical day like. Well, being open to the general public, we service the needs of everyone from first graders doing their plant science experiments (laughs) all the way up through Nobel Prize winning scientists, some of whom are actually advisors to our board. Uh We have currently 72 different languages in the collections. And on any given day, uh, we can service, um, as I said, uh, school children, Mm -hmm. artists, journalists. Uh, uh, We were originally founded to meet the needs of the staff, which we consistently do to this day, uh, and their colleagues from other botanical institutions. Uh, Of course, uh, biodiversity is very big these days, so we're servicing the needs of scientists outside the traditional realm of botany. Uh, and gardeners as well. The home gardener is welcome to use our collection. Mm-hmm. We have a very important um, service called the um, Plant Information Hotline. You do not need to be a member of the garden to call this hotline and uh, or email us, and we can help identify your plant problems or identify uh, a source for you to purchase a plant. Right. Um, and we get uh, about over 7,000 inquiries a year through that service. Yeah. Um, actually, Carmen used to do that for the Horticultural Society of New York. She was the plant doctor. And um, we often got questions like, so I have this plant and it's green and it's not doing well and I don't know what to do. <laughs> how many how many times do you hear that, Steve? <laughs> yes, they handle that. We have two experts in that office to handle that. So I don't hear that too much. I just yeah. tell them to go there. Well, you're lucky. We have to take a break. Um, hang on the line. We'll be right back. See, continuing sure. to talk. That's for free. Sure. And that's the library. That's a place where you can go research. You can go do your homework. You can go on the internet. You can go explore books. You can go do anything. You can look at anything we've done in history. Just about. It's in the library. And it's fun, and you can even get help. Come on, go to the library. L is for look, I inside, B in books, R for resources, A available, R for reading, Y, Y, so you're achieving. L is for look, I inside, B in books, R for resources, A available, R for reading, Y, Y, so you're achieving. I got this energy. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Thursday at 1 p.m., Heather Hyman and Aaron Fairbanks explore the real roles in building a strong community and sustainable farm system. 
They get nitty-gritty with the people producing our food. They explore distribution networks, dissect policy issues, and converse with some of the nation's most important agents for change to examine current events in the world of agriculture and food. Join them every Thursday live at 1 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network, where all is grist for the mill. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking about the New York Botanical Library um, with librarian extraordinaire Stephen Sinnon. That was a song called Library by uh, Mr. Deep Positivity. thought it was somewhat appropriate, <laughs> um, even though it's a little silly. Um, so when we left, when we, before we took the break, Stephen, we were talking about your typical day and who uses the library. Tell us, because you just got back from this fabulous trip, um, about an unusual task of the librarian. And an unusual task. Well, yeah, because one you... of the interesting things that I do is I work with our in-house product development people. We have a wonderful shop here at the garden, and we develop products using images from the library. Mm -hmm. So we will comb through the collections looking for, let's say, holiday images, holiday plants, that might then be turned into a whole array of things that are sold exclusively uh, through our shop uh, and created by outside vendors. Um, so that's really a, a, an interesting aspect of what I do, one, one thing of what I do. I'm also the garden's archivist, so I'm sort of a caretaker of our historical uh, records that we contain here. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, on any given day, I can come into the office and plan to do X, Y, and Z, but I get a phone call or a meeting is called or some emails come through and suddenly everything is thrown up in the air. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those situations. You never really can tell what each day will bring. Right, but you just got back from um, a, a trip, right? Where to you were... Spain, yes. Yeah. So tell us to... a little bit about that and, and why you were there. Uh, well, actually, I was there to see uh, uh, two things. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing the Alhambra exhibition, uh -huh. which is a recreation of the great gardens found at the Alhambra in uh, Granada. Right. So I, had to, I will be responsible for uh, giving public tours. And so I thought it would behoove me to go there and see what it was all about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice and <perk>. so <laughs> on any given exhibit that we do as curators, we delve into the collections and we immerse ourselves in the the whole world of of the theme of the collection. Mm -hmm. So here I have to study up on the background of Islamic culture and how the Alhambra fits into that. And one of the themes that we'll be uh, discussing is how foreign travelers have experienced the Alhambra. Uh -huh. This exhibit has a guest curator from the Hispanic Society of America, but we don't always have guest curators. Uh, most of what we do is done in-house and so we're on our own to do our to do our own research. Uh, another thing that I went to Spain to see is an exhibition in Madrid of impression, impressionist gardens. Uh -huh. It's uh, there are many uh, exhibits on impressionist paintings, but this one is particularly geared for the first time on the gardens in focus. And next year we're planning to do an exhibition on Monet's gardens at Giverny. Oh wow! So we'll need some ideas to fill the gallery with that. 
Yeah. And and when you're on these trips, do you um, are you also kind of scouting for the library to increase your holdings? Well, what I do is I sometimes meet with colleagues or I go to botanical institutions there uh, and, and exhibitions, as I said. Um, sometimes we'll go and uh, do research uh, and look at objects that may be potentially thought of for a loan for a future exhibition. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't do any purchasing on my own when I'm abroad. No, of course. Yeah. Right. right, but you're certainly kind of keeping your eyes and ears out about who has what and uh, if it's ever going up for auction. <laughs> so that oh, well, York... you know, sure, sure, that comes through. Now, tell us a little bit about the, I'm going to shift focus a little bit. Tell us about the digital library and how that's changed research at the Garden well, uh, the future of, well, for many libraries in general, uh, the Internet has changed vastly what uh-huh. we do and how we think about what we have. We're putting a strong emphasis on digitization here, and especially in terms of our special collections, which really make us unique. Um, so we're reaching out, and we're currently working with um, uh, on several branches. We have our own in-house Mertz Digital Library, uh, in which we're doing in-house digitization of uh, special collection items. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also working with the Internet Archive and with a company called Kirtas, which creates um, reproductions uh, on demand from our collection of works in our collection that are copyright-free. Oh, wow. And uh, can be purchased through that company. Uh-huh. And then we're working uh, with a consortium called the Biodiversity Heritage Library. This is a consortium of the world's major national uh, natural history libraries, of which we are one. Okay. And we've done about 15,000 um, objects from our collection so far. We've digitized. And we have them fully available on the Biodiversity Heritage website for searching. Uh-huh. Uh, by author, title, keyword. And uh, this is particularly important uh, in areas of the world where there are no very good botanical libraries of, right. of any note. So um, we're reaching out to uh, share our strengths with the public. Uh-huh. Well, also, I could, I could imagine that would be important if you're in the field and, you know, you, you're researching something, but you have questions and just to be able to log on and then instantly have all this information right at your fingertips as you're in, you know, the wilds of the Amazon or something. <laughs> sure. And this is what we're doing in the library. Now, in the herbarium, mm-hmm. they're doing digitization as well. And they're creating something called the virtual herbarium, yeah. where they are scanning all seven and a half million of their specimens so that somebody actually could feasibly uh, compare, pull up something online and compare it to what they have in front of them. Uh, and that would certainly cut down on costs of postage and shipping and loans and losses potentially in the mail. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is a great way of sharing uh, our, our riches and wealth with, as I said, areas of the world that are not so well endowed. Yeah. And in fact, you guys, the herbarium is having an exhibit right now that, that Carmen and I were fortunate enough to see about Darwin's uh, tree of life and I was very surprised and very excited to see that the herbarium um, you, you can log on to this her- virtual herbarium and and see basically the exhibit and more even um, uh, about what the collection is and, and what it offers yes that is actually part of um, 
a museum that we had here when we opened back in 1900. Mm -hmm. The entire fourth floor of this building, well, actually, the second floor, of only three big floors, <laughs> um, was from stem to stern a museum of economic and systematic botany. Uh -huh. That is how mankind has interacted with plants. Yeah. And there were all sorts of interesting exhibits there. It was the largest museum of its kind in the world. And through the years as the herbarium grew and grew, it took over more space in the building so that by the 1980s, there no longer was a museum left here. And so only a few years ago, uh, that space that you saw, the museum exhibit, was reinstalled. And that exhibit really interprets uh, some of the important projects that are being worked on here by our scientific staff and in our laboratories. Yeah, and now you can log on at 2 in the morning, you know, sure. <laughs> when you're doing your research, which is mostly when research is done, you know, as, 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 as students, they're, mm -hmm. they're up late. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's when, when you're uninterrupted and you can really focus. So it's amazing that, that this is all part of your kind of outreach and that, that you offer this and it's all free mm -hmm. yes it is so tell us um, what's new in the library and where do you think it's going in the future well we're going to continue our efforts to digitize our collections uh huh uh, what's new? We have some new staff members. We had some retirements. Um, certainly, like many other institutions, we have uh, frozen positions due to the economy. Right. Um, but that's certainly going to change. In the future here, uh, we in intend to continue to present world-class exhibitions in our gallery. Uh, we have a wonderful new opportunity this year that arose for us to, to share um, Al Hirschfeld's, uh, Hirschfeld's work, mm -hmm. which is certainly not from our own collections. Right. Um, the Botanical Society of America has now moved its uh, Botanical Illustrator Society of America has moved its offices here to the gardens. So oh. We'll be presenting more uh, botanical illustration exhibitions. Oh, great. Uh, as the opportunity for that arises. Uh-huh. And people really do love to, to look at botanical art. Yeah. We have one of the largest uh, programs for teaching botanical illustration here in mm -hmm. the world, mm -hmm. here at the Garden. Yeah, we actually did a show on um, with Carol Wooden um, uh, on the ASBA and, and about botanical art in general. And um, I didn't realize that they had moved up to your up to NYBG. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, we just love to have them here. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about the Council of Botanical and Horticultural Libraries. What what is that comprised of? That is an institution that is now forty three years old, and we are a founding member of uh -huh. the CBHL. Um, it is comprised of all of the leading botanical libraries in the United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. There's an, an, a European equivalent, uh, EBHL, uh -huh. and it's great for networking with our colleagues and for loaning materials, interlibrary loan of materials. Uh -huh. And at our annual conference, we get together and we have uh, lectures, presentations, trips, workshops um, to hone our skills and, and network further. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, way of meeting our colleagues and finding out what other people are doing right. and sharing what we're doing and getting feedback from our, our, our co-workers. And those, they have, those annual meetings are... are kind of held all over 
all over the United States. Uh-huh. And then in e- EBHL, they have their own uh, all over Europe. And so we invite a member from there, and they invite a member from here. And so it's interesting it's opportunity. So, so, Stephen, let me ask you kind of a personal question. How did you become a botanical librarian? Or was this just like a job that you fell into as as somebody who, who studied library <laughs> I do get that uh, question occasionally, uh-huh. and um, I would say it's probably more falling into it. It's not mm-hmm. something that I set out to be. Uh, I studied librarianship at Columbia University, mm-hmm. and I worked at various institutions, including um, Bard College, the United Nations, the New York Times, Fordham University, mm-hmm. uh, the School of Visual Arts, and uh, I ended up here. Uh, we're just across the road from Fordham University, so right. you know the grass was always greener here. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and uh, I've been here now for uh, 13 years. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the I think the profession of of library studies is probably one of the best professions that anyone could ever um, undertake because it's such a broad, broad, broad. Um, field, you know, and, and you have to kind of know everything. And, and if you don't know everything, you have to know where to look for it. And that's the beauty of your job is that you're always helping people, um, you know, not not even necessarily in your field, just because of the, the kind of breadth of, of library studies, you get to you know, to delve into art history, you get to delve into history, into, you know, bioethics like it it's just it's just so huge what you all do yes it certainly does encompass a number of fields and i'm lucky in the sense that i have a background in uh, public and academic and private and government libraries very very broad background it certainly helps me and every day in, in the work that i do here and also foreign languages uh-huh. i can't i can't say enough about foreign languages how many uh, you need to learn and, and how important i do use them uh, almost every day here in reading the collections as interpreting them in research uh, sure. as i said we had 72 different languages in the collection currently. Wow, wow. And how many of them do you speak? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I read more than I speak. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, unfortunately we're, we're running out of time. We only have a few minutes left. But I wanted to ask you, you know, there's this huge kind of controversy going on because Q has decided to change the Linnaean Latin names due to all of this DNA research, how will NYBG's library be affected by this? Well, the library online catalog, we can make uh, global changes, updates very simply. Sure. we decide that we needed to do that? <laughs> um, That's the question. <laughs> we are, our staff here are world recognized as world leaders in, in nomenclature and taxonomy, uh, morphology and structural botany. Uh-huh. So certainly any changes to classification and nomenclature, uh, our staff would be intimately involved with that. Um, yeah. Are you working closely with Q on this? Um, I'm not here in the library, no. Right. But what's coming up this year is the International Botanical Congress in Australia. Uh-huh. And it's very interesting because for a long time, the only accepted plant names are ones that are published in print. Right. 
and there's a current battle to try and get them to accept electronic publication. Ah. So they will have that battle out this year in Australia, and we'll see what comes of that. Well, books will be flying, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one last thing. Tell us a little bit about the NYBG Press, because you all put out some really great publications yourselves. Yes, we we are certainly uh, one of the largest publishing programs of any independent botanical garden in the world. Mm-hmm. The press was established in 1896, oh. and since then, it has focused on advancements in knowledge about uh, classification, utilization, and conservation of plants and fungi. Mm-hmm. So it's really an arm of the garden for allowing our scientific staff to publish the results of their work and share them with their colleagues. Uh-huh. And there are a number of uh, journals that we publish in addition to um, um, uh, book series. Uh, Some of the important things we have are the Intermountain Flora, um, Advances in Economic Botany, the Botanical Review, Bretonia, Flora Neotropica. These are uh, things that we are uh, very well known for. I know. It's, and, and a lot of them are also for sale in your shop. Is that right? Yes. We are very fortunate in having one of the finest botanical uh, and horticultural bookshops in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, little by little, uh, the Internet has put out, um, big guys like Amazon.com have put out of business many small dealers. Right. Uh, our shop originally started selling books as textbooks for courses that were required here at the garden. Mm-hmm. And it's grown to include things as, such as uh, an antiquarian section and a large children's section as yeah. well. Yeah, I have to stay away from there because I, I purchase way too many books, so says my husband. But <laughs> Big sale going on now. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry we have to wrap up. There's so much more we could talk about. And like I said earlier, um, you know, please, listeners, when you're in New York, please go to the New York Botanic Garden and meet Stephen and, and take a tour of this library and the herbarium. The institution is unbelievable, unbelievably friendly and warm, and they've got so much to offer, and not to mention just a beautiful walk through their gorgeous living collection. So thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us and for shedding some light on what you do and the, the history and the future of the Mertz Library at NYBG. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering. Thanks to Hearst Ranch and Roberta's Pizza. If you missed any part of the show, please note that it's available via archive on the website, heritageradionetwork.com, and on uh, iTunes via podcast. Thanks so much. Happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.